this morning to you. And if you don't mind, though, I think I'll just share instead of sing. I think it'll work a lot better that way. But So what are you afraid of? Do you think about it much? A lot of people do, right? There's been all kinds of surveys about what we fear the most, right? And so kind of, you know, usually the top of the list are what you'd expect. You know, a bad illness for yourself or death. Same for a loved one. You, you know, fear them dying or, or having uh, some kind of illness. We, we fear not having enough money from time to time. Uh, what else? Some of us fear heights. Some fear uh, speaking in front of a crowd. Some, today, we have new fears, right? Mass shootings and a lot of other things that we fear. Um, for me, you know, one of the things I fear is a very confined small space. I hate little spaces, and I mean, I, I just I can't go there, right? And it, it's kind of interesting. We respond to fear in all kinds of different ways, and in fact, we, I think we respond to different fears in different ways, right? So think about it. Some fear, I think, is actually good, right? Uh, for me, I, you know, I'm not terribly afraid of heights, but if my feet aren't firm, then I'm, I'm afraid of heights. And that worked in my, my benefit the other day or a few weeks or months ago, actually now, I was painting up high, you know, outside the house, the, the eaves up under the roof. And so I wanted to make sure that scaffold was extra firm, right? I didn't want it rocking or moving under me because I was afraid if I didn't have that good footing. And so in that case, the fear was good, right? I took extra precaution to make sure, you know, my fear was taken care of. But there's other fear, right, that are, is, is bad, bad that, that, that drags us down, that hurts us, you know? Maybe it's a, a fear of change. You're not willing to, to take a new great job because you're just afraid of the change. I mean, if if I were a uh, caver, I would have a problem, right? Because I would be afraid to wiggle through those little tiny, you know, holes to really see the beauty of the cave, right? So I, you know, I would be held back because of my fear. And so some fear is like that. And then there's this other kind of fear, I think, that kind of operates in the background. It's not the kind of fear that just, that seizes us, that, you know, just won't let us go. Uh, but it's more of that kind of fear just operates in the background. It just kind of hits us every so often. And I really struggled with a good example here, but then I had to get a little personal here, right? And so one of the things that I think all of our family worry a little bit about is our, our new grandson, five months old. And kind of the, the elephant in the room for us is type 1 diabetes. My older son has type 1 diabetes, and we worry that it might one day get passed down, right? And so even though I trust God that everything will work out, that regardless he's going to flourish, but we just don't want to see that happen to him. So it's kind of there in the background. It, every time I see my son pricking himself, it makes me think, I just hope James doesn't have to experience that, right? So it's that kind of a, a fear that's just back there that you still trust in God, but it's there. You just can't get rid of it, right? And so this morning, I want to return to Abraham, our story of Abraham. I want to kind of take the next step in the journey of Abraham with you. I've been kind of doing that off and on when I get a chance to, to teach. And so I want to continue that track this morning. And in our story today, God addresses some deep-seated fears of Abram. He's been in, in the promised land as God had called him out, just like he was called to do. He went, and he's been there quite a while. 
and yet he has no heir, no child. And he has no land to call his own, and yet God has promised him that he is going to be the father of a great nation. What's up, God? Right? And so, um, although Abram has trusted in God, and we see that in every step that he takes, he still carries these deep-seated concerns around with him. And so, God helps him to address these fears with promises and a covenant. And we'll, we'll read more about that this morning. And so, for us, I think we all, we deal with fears and concerns at different levels and different kinds all the time. And, you know, they're kind of changing in our life. And so, like Abram, we too can rest our fears on God's promises and, 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 and covenant. And this morning, I think, looking at, at, at Abram as an example, we can learn from him and see how we can maybe do a better job of really standing on the promises of God. So, will you pray with me before we get started? <clears throat> Dear Lord in heaven, thank you again for this day. Thank you for everyone that's here, Lord, and for uh, just our opportunity to worship together. How wonderful that is, Lord. We praise you, and we thank you for the scripture, Lord. We thank you for uh, the example of Abraham, Lord, and uh, just uh, what he did, Lord, and uh, because of his faith, Lord, and to see your promises lived out in his life, and Lord, how those promises are, uh, are part of a, a much bigger plan that you have even for us today, Lord. We praise you. Open these scriptures to us, Lord. Open our minds. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, if you would, turn to Genesis chapter 15. And uh, let's start reading there in verse 1. <clears throat> After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will thou give me since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Since thou hast given me no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. And Abram said, And then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but the one who shall come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And then he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you're able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. So we'll break there real quick. So how does our, our passage start here? It says what? It says, uh, after these things. Well, after what things? What is uh, the, the, the writer here referring to? Well, we believe that 15, 14 and 15 are in chronological order, the chapters. So we believe that basically he's, he, this is right on the heels of what happens in chapter 14. Well, I know it's been a while since we studied that, so I'll remind you. So in chapter 14, Abram actually goes, and it, it's Abram still. He hasn't been elevated to Abraham, so it's still Abram. Abram goes and uh, rescues his uh, nephew Lot from some marauding kings from the north. So basically what happens, you might remember, uh, I think it was back actually chapter 13, that uh, Lot and Abram have to separate ways. Their flocks, their herds, their herdsmen, they've gotten so big that they just couldn't stay together anymore. So they had to split ways, and Lot went and lived near Sodom, near uh, the Dead Sea. Well, 
The kings around the Dead Sea, five of them, decided to revolt against kings to the north, four kings to the north, who were holding them to pay tribute, right? They said, we're not going to pay that anymore. So those kings came down and said, yes, you are. And so on their way, they wreaked all kinds of havoc and destroyed other kingdoms, plus the five kings that rebelled against them. And then they were starting on their way back home with all their spoils, including uh, uh, Lot and his family and all of his possessions. And Abram said, no, you're not. And him and his little team of, of ranchers, basically, right, go out after this very, very powerful uh, uh, army, right, that had wreaked all kinds of havoc. I mean, way, you know, undermanned, under-experienced and everything, yet he goes after him because he trusted in God, and he puts it to him, right? He destroys them. He runs them home, takes away all their spoils, brings them back home, and then he worships God with the help of Melchizedek, and it's a whole different story I won't get into, but we see you know, Abraham being very confident in God, and even more so that he gives all the spoils back, lets the people go back to their homes with all their possessions. He doesn't keep anything because he doesn't want anyone saying that, you know, these kings benefited me. Rather, everything I have is because of God. So we see here in chapter 14, you know, Abram coming off a real high point, right? He, he had followed God. He had trusted God. He'd won a great victory because of God's strength. And this is where, uh, after these things, then God comes to him. How does God come to him? He comes to him in a vision, right? And then what happens in this vision? Well, we see God reiterating his promises to Abram, right? And it's kind of different. We've seen this now actually three more times. So first, you know, God comes to Abram in the land of Ur and says, you know, I make all these promises to you if you'll go. Well, Abram went. Now, this is the third time since he's been in the land of Canaan that God has reiterated his promises to Abram. And so, but this time, it's a little different in kind of the way this, this promise rolls out, if you will. And so, <clears throat> part of the thing um, is uh, while... Uh, God is reiterating these promises. This is the very first time that God tells Abram not to fear, right? So that's right. the very first thing God says, Abram, do not fear. And I don't know, do you see that as kind of strange? Of all the times, God never says, do not fear me, except this time. And why this particular time? In fact, after Abram has won this big, you know, battle. If any time, it would have been right before the battle where, you know, Abram might have been fearing, but now he's won this big battle because of God's strength. Why would he be fearing? Well, some of the uh, commentators say, well, you know, it could be the fact that, you know, he chased these kings off, these four kings, ran them back to their home. Well, they're going to, you know, get back and regroup, and then they're going to come back after Abram, stronger and ready for revenge. But, you know, I, I don't buy that argument. Because, I mean, nothing has changed here. Abram was way undermanned when he went after him in the first place and whipped him, right? And so, and Abram knows that it wasn't because of his power or his, you know, his military training or anything. It was because of God and God alone. And nothing has changed. God is still with him. So why would he fear that? Now, I think it's, it, it's something more insidious, and that is this fear, the fear that uh, is expressed in Abram's question. In fact, as we go on in this chapter, we're going to see another question that, again, exposes some of Abram's fear. 
And again, it's, it's not this kind of fear that he's seized by that he can't live by, but it's that kind of deep-seated, you know, just kind of gnaws at him all the time, right? And we'll, we'll look at that some more. But also, the reason I believe this fear has, is, is tied to these questions is that if, if we actually look at this passage more closely in this word shield, where God says, I am your shield, Actually, a better translation than that, I don't know why they didn't translate it this way, is benefactor, right? So do not fear, Abram. I am a benefactor for you who will reward you greatly. And so then now this kind of turns that our focus from, you know, anything else that happened, but to the reward. Don't fear the reward. I've got you covered is what God is kind of saying to him. And so... Um, so unlike in past encounters, too, God doesn't spell out exactly the promise. Here it's just this reward's going to be great, right? So that's a little different, something else that's different about it. So, um, again, another thing that's different about this encounter, where God is making his promises again, what's different is that this is the first time Abram stops and says, Hey, I've got a question, Lord. I, I need some clarification here. He says, how can there be a great reward if I have no child, right? And that's a legitimate question. And in fact, I think with this question, we can really see that, you know, this has been gnawing on Abram. He's been thinking about this a lot. It's been on his heart. And how can I say that? Well, the first thing is it, it's kind of like with your boss, right? You know, you sit there and things are happening and you say, man... I'm going to write this question down, and next time I get in front of my boss, I'm going to be ready to ask a question. And I think that's kind of, I can almost see Abram and, and Sarah sitting across the, the breakfast table, and they're talking, and they say, and, you know, Sarah's saying, you ought to ask God, where's our child, right? And so Abram's ready. He's got this question ready for God the next time he comes. It's also pretty apparent that he's given this some thought because, he, he's, he's immediately ready. He, uh, he, he knows that uh, who is going to be my heir if something happens to me and Sarah and I don't have a child. He's already thought this through in his mind. And that's what all this talk is about, uh, this Eliezer of Damascus, right? What, what is this guy about? Well, the tradition in that time was if, if you were old beyond your childbearing years and you had no child, no heir to leave your possessions to, you would adopt a child and that would usually be the child of your highest ranking employee, right? In this case, Eliezer. So he's saying, God, is this really my heir that, that you've been talking about, this, this other man's child? Am I to adopt him? Is that what you mean? And so that's what that's all about. And so basically, again, Abram's been thinking about this. Who would be my heir? Who is my heir right now? And the other thing is very interesting in the way he also words his request back to God, right? He says um, in verse 3, Abram said, Since thou hast given no offspring to me. Who's Abram pointing the finger at? He's rightly pointing the finger at God. He's saying, God, you know, I know this is not going to happen without you, God. Why haven't you given it to me? So he's been thinking about this. It's been on his heart. It's that gnawing fear down deep inside of him. It's not that he doesn't trust in God. It's just, I don't understand. I need, I, I want some, some answers. So, um, 
So we too can let these concerns fester, right? Sometimes, you know, we've got these fears. You know, they're not necessarily changing the way we <clears throat> live and act, but they're still there, and they, they bother us. They, they concern us, <clears throat> and it's there reminding you every time. Like Abram, every time he would see a baby, every time he would see a dad with his son, it was a reminder, I don't have a son. I don't have anyone to live, leave this to. And it's really, it's easy to fear when we don't have answers. And that's, I, I think, exactly where Abram is at. And so I think here, and let's study this so now we can see how Abram kind of squares his fear with God's promises. And I think there's a lot here that we can take away to help us to lean on God's promises and put fear out of our lives. The first thing, I think, is to learn first from Abram and his wrong perspective, right? So what, what lenses was he looking at this situation through? He was looking through human lenses, right? He failed to look through God's lenses, and that's always a problem. And it's understandable, right? Abram, he was what, almost 100 years old at this time? Sarah, 90 years old, right? Uh, that baby-making train has left the station a long time ago, right? It, it was not physically possible. It just wasn't going to happen physically, right? But, you know, he failed to remember something very important, and that is God things don't have to have human explanation. And this is definitely a God thing, right, to make this one man into a very great nation, right, to bless all of humankind through one man. That, that's definitely ranks as a God thing. It's not going to happen through human endeavor, and so we have to be careful that we, too, get caught up looking at a situation through human eyes. It doesn't work that way. We have to look, or at least allow God to help us to see through his eyes. He's plenty big. Don't, don't sell him short, right? He can solve our situation. We don't need to worry unnecessarily. He's bigger than the issues that we face. So that's the first thing. Don't get caught with human perspective. Second thing is that we can learn is it's okay to question God. Now, you got to be careful here, and you might say, well, wait, what do you mean? How do you know you can question God? Well, Abram questioned God, and God graciously answers him here, right? So it's okay to uh, question God. But, but, this is very important, right? We must appreciate how Abram approached his question, right? And how he questioned God from a full degree of trust in God. He, uh, he, he approached God and questioned God, still trusting completely in God. It wasn't a question of, are you going to fulfill your promise? But how? I need some help here. I need, I need some help with this God. And that's where he's coming from. And we know that Abram approached God from a point of trust, right? I mean, look at what he's done. He gave, uh, well, I mean, he went to the promised land to begin with. He gave the best land to his, his nephew Lot. He went and chased down this, this powerful army with a bunch of ranchers. He gave away all his spoils of war. This is not a man that's acting on his own strength. This is a man that trusts in God, right? And we see that, so we know he trusts God. In fact, we're going to read later in, in uh, Hebrews that, that tells us this. 
but we know this anyway. So he is, he is questioning out of a point of trust. And so we, we can question God. We shouldn't wallow around in fear, and, but we can take our questions in God in trust. We don't need to be afraid. We don't even need to be afraid to wrestle with God. He's willing. He's big enough to take on. He understands us. But we have to go in trust. That's very important. So, we can ask questions. Ask God questions. He wants us to. The third thing we can learn is that God answers with promises, right? And so, and this really, I think, is the crux of this, this whole chapter. It's not the fear. It's all about God's promises. So we read about promises here in the, the first five verses. Later on, we're going to see God making a covenant with, with Abram to give him something he can hold on to. It's about God's promises. And what's cool is the promises that are being made here to Abram have eternal meaning for us today. And we'll talk a bit about that more. But God answers us with promises. And so how did God respond to Abram's question? He didn't make him childless all of a sudden. He didn't say, here's a son, or hey, you're going to have a son in six months or nine months or a year or two years. He didn't say anything. He says, depend on my promise, right? He pointed Abram back to his promise. And he really doesn't give him any more information, just a little bit. But basically, you know, he knew his descendants would be a great nation, right? So he knew it had to come from him, but he just wasn't seeing it. And I understand why. But God, again, just says, like, look back to my promise. I'm good for it. Now, it is important to note here, and I think that this is part of the bigger picture, uh, that God does emphasize, he does give a little more information, right? He does emphasize who this heir isn't going to be, right? And so... In verse 4, he says, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man, being Eliezer, his, his child, is not your heir, but one who shall come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And so what's the big deal here? Well, I think what God is stressing is, that he said, Hey, not just any heir is going to do, right? My heir, your heir, is going to be the one through whom I make a great nation. In fact, it's even bigger than that, Abram. It's not just about your son here. It's really about me blessing all of humankind through this heir. So it really matters to me. And so the point here is that, hey, this is part of a much bigger plan. God's promises are about his plan. It's not about us, right? And they will happen in, my time, in God's timing, right? And that, I think, is what he's trying to get across to Abram. So we have to remember that about God's promises. And so, should we expect anything different, right? When we question, what's God going to do? He's going to direct us to his promises. That's what he does. And if we are really approaching God from a position of faith, trust in him, then his promises are all that we need, right? Let me say that again, because I, I think that's pretty important. If we are really approaching God from a position of trust and faith, then his promises are all that we need. And so, as I was working through this all week, you know, well, beyond that, 
as I've been working through this, I kept kind of being convicted. And I said, you know, I'm not facing anything that I'm really scared about right now, uh, really fearful for. I mean, can I, uh, you know, do I believe this? Is this real to me? And then God helped point out is that, yes, it is. And I have uh, struggled this way. And God's promises have been enough. And that was just uh, about a year and a half ago, I lost my father. He was 81. He was a super healthy, very vibrant man. You know, I mean, he had it all up here. You know, he was very healthy. And then COVID, he got COVID. And then, I mean, within a matter of a few days, he went from this very vibrant man to on life support. And I remember it was probably the weirdest experience of my life, sitting there in the hospital room with him on life support. He was totally fine, totally healthy, totally with it, yet he couldn't breathe on his own. And I mean, they were pumping so much oxygen in him that, you know, light a match and he would have shot off like a rocket. I mean, this was, you know, where he was at. And, and we were having these conversations and it was hard knowing that this was it. And yet, it's that promise. He knew, I knew where he was going. It made things okay. I still miss him, but I could depend on that promise. And that's when you know it's more than just a platitude, right? It's something real. It's something that we can depend on, right? That's the kind of um, promise that we have. And that's the kind of trust that we have to have in those promises. And so how do we, how do we connect with that promise then? Well, we have to reach out in prayer, right? That's how we question God in prayer. We're questioning God in prayer. We wrestle with him. And coupled with that, though, we have to get in the scripture. We have to find where God is pointing us to those, those promises. And God has the answers if we will do the searching and the praying. So God will answer us, but he's going to answer us with promises. So finally, from here anyway, we can see that uh, kind of the final thing I think that we can take away from this bit of passage <clears throat> is uh, in terms of kind of dealing with our, 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 our fears and, and, and standing on God's promises is we must avoid setting our sights too low. I just love verse 5 here. If you read it again. And he took him outside, that is, God took Abram outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you can count them. And he said to him, So shall your dependence be. Can you imagine God taking you by the hand, bringing you outside? It's so dark, yet there's a bazillion stars all over the place. And God says, there's your answer, right? How incredible is that? That's your answer. You, you're worried about a child, and I'm here in the stars. This is what I'm thinking, right? Are we setting our sights too low? Are we failing to see that God's going to take our seemingly insignificant contributions and do something of immeasurable eternal significance if we'll just trust in him? Are we selling God too short? Are we setting our sights too low? We are if we're not giving ourselves and, and, and really wanting his promises to come true in our lives. All right. So there, I think, are a few things that we can use in our lives to help combat fear and really, most importantly, 
stand on God's promises. So then things change up a little bit here. Going back to our passage in verse 6, and there's kind of this, this break here, right? And it says, Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And so it's kind of strange. This, it, like I say, that there's a break, right? So what's been happening? Verses 1 through 5 that we've read, there's been this dialogue, right, between God and Abram, promises, questions, right? When we go to verse 7 and through the end of the chapter, kind of the same thing again. God's got promises. There's this dialogue with Abraham, promises, questions, right? But here there's this kind of break, and it's a narrative, right? And it's kind of like, you know, we have this dialogue coming on, and then all of a sudden the narrator breaks in. And then he believed in the Lord, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Right? It's, 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 it seems a little out of place. What, what's going on here? And I think what's happening is it, this, this verse is intended to describe what's really going on at a very fundamental level. It, he's kind of breaking and saying, hey, this is what you've seen, and this is what you're going to see is really happening under the, under the, under the surface. It's explaining the connection between fear, belief, promise, and righteousness. It's how we interact with God's covenant, uh, covenant promises. But even more than that, what is so cool is that this has deep theological underpinnings for us today. This is, our whole faith is based really on this concept of belief and righteousness, right? And so this is all part of God's plan. started right here with Abram and his heir and his intention to bless all mankind. It's so cool to see. And so that's what's going on here. And so I'll try to unpack a little bit of this for you so we understand we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks on this verse alone, right? I don't have time to encourage you to take a closer look uh, at some other passages we'll talk about. But so what, what's going on here? So the first thing we see here in this passage is that uh, this is actually the first time that belief, the words belief and righteousness uh, occur in the Bible. Now, I mean, we're just getting started, but we've seen these actions already happening, right? We've seen righteousness and, and belief in Abraham and in Noah and others, right? But the vocabulary wasn't there. This is the first time this vocabulary is used. So it's important in that, in that sense. God's trying to, you know, get our attention. Uh, the other thing, which is kind of, again, unfortunate about the way uh, some of the translations translate uh, verse uh, uh, 6, then he believed. Kind of gives this impression that Abram only believed once this uh, uh, dialogue had happened in verses 1 through 5, but that's not the case, in fact. If you go back and really look at the construction of the verb, it doesn't mean that at all, that Abram had faith and, you know, it was continuing to grow, but it, it wasn't just something that Abram all of a sudden got. But this was a deep-seated uh, faith, belief that Abram had in God. And so here the idea of belief, faith, if you will, carries this idea of considering something dependable uh, that I can act on, right? It's something I can stand on or I'm standing on. I believe it, right? Righteousness, on the other hand, it's a meaning of conformity to a standard of what God, what's right in God's eyes, right? And so it's doing what God wants us to do. It's, it's what's right. Obeying God, that's righteousness. And so this forms 
the covenantal relationship with the Lord, right? It's kind of our covenant with the Lord that we trust in him. Well, I mean, the contract reads, we believe in what God has promised, and he credits that as righteousness. He finds us acceptable when we believe in him, and that's it. It's not about what we're doing. It wasn't about what Abram was doing. It was what, about his belief, and that's what God finds acceptable. And then we have access to those promises, right? That's the way this works. And basically, that's, that's what we've been seeing playing out in verses 1 through 5. We're also going to see that in 7 through the end of the chapter. It's how this works, right? It's not about our works. It's not about Abram defeating these kings or even going to the promised land. It's about Abram trusting God, trusting the promises. This is the foundation. That's what God cares about. Everything else happens when that faith is applied to God's promises, right? So that's, that's kind of what is happening in 1 through 5, and that's why you know, we're kind of breaking, and God's saying, hey, I want you to recognize what's happening. In fact, this goes way beyond just this little event here, right? It goes way beyond this chapter. Actually, um, what we see is that um, this has eternal meaning, uh, this is because the heir really mattered, right? Remember, it's not just about any old kid will do for Abram, but that child will be the heir eventually that will bless all of mankind. And so we're getting back to this promise that God made to Abraham to bless everyone. And so this, this foundation of belief and promises and righteousness is, is, is critical I mean, it, it's what our whole faith is based on. And actually, Paul does a better job of explaining it than I can uh, in Galatians 3 and Romans 4. So I'd suggest, you know, if you get some time, go back, take a closer look at these. But if you would, I encourage you to turn with me here to Romans chapter 4 real quick. I want to read a little bit that really explains this so that, uh, I mean, Paul, in an unusual case, he's very easy to understand in this case and helps bring this all to life and bring it to us today, right? So starting in, in, in verse, 15, uh, verse 18 of Romans 5, Romans 4, I'm sorry, Romans 4, 18. In hope against hope, he believed in order that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken. So shall your descendants be. And without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what he had promised, God had promised, he, Abraham, was a, uh, that he, God, was able to perform, therefore also it was reckoned to him as righteousness." So what are we seeing here again? Again, what it, it's that Abram, that again, what does it say? Uh, hope against hope. There was no hope. His, Sarah's womb was dead, right? No hope. Yet he still believed in God's promises. That's the point here is, is that he believed in the promises. And it's only because of that promise that it is reckoned to him as righteous, that God find, found him righteous, that God found him acceptable. It's through that and that only. 
It didn't have, again, didn't have to do with what Abraham accomplished. In fact, earlier in this chapter 4 of Romans, it talks about it wasn't, had nothing to do with his circumcision because that occurred afterwards, which was important to the Jews, right? It's only because of what Abraham believed in God, right? But it goes on, and this is how it connects to us. So picking back up in uh, verse 23. So it had reckoned to him his righteousness. Now, not for his sake only, that is, Abraham was it written, that it was reckoned to him, but for our sakes today, to whom it will be reckoned as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. So what is he saying here? In the same way, we are called to believe. Who are we called to believe in? Jesus Christ. In the same way, the promise, the promise that we need to, because of our sin. And in fact, he goes on, he was delivered up because of our transgressions, okay? So what are we believing? We're believing that Jesus Christ, he came, well, that actually Jesus Christ, he is the seed that God was talking about that would one day bless all of humankind. How would he bless? Because he came, God in flesh, came to earth, he died, he had lived a perfect life unlike us. We're deserving of death. Jesus was not deserving of death, right? He died and on a cross in our place. He paid the debt that we couldn't pay in our, with, our, with his life. And that he was raised up of our just, because of our justification. In other words, he died, he paid our sin, he justified our sins, made us righteous in the eyes of God. And so... Like Abraham, if we believe in Christ as our Savior, we are credited as righteous because of his sacrifice and will enjoy the promises that he's made us. It's, again, not about our actions. It's about our faith. It starts with our faith. Everything else then proceeds from there. So you can see how these, these promises to Abram connect to us today through that heir, through the seed, through Jesus Christ. And so ultimately, What? This faith and this promise drives out our worst of fears, and that is death. So here we see faith in God yields uh, faith in God's promises yields righteousness, and then that drives out our deepest fear. All right, so we kind of see how that that little interlude fits in, right? It kind of helps explain what's really going on and what's really important about God's promises and our trust and our, our faith in those promises. So now let's uh, finish up here and see this last set of dialogue between God and Abram. Uh, yeah, we got to go back to Genesis 15. So if you'll hop back there, picking up in verse 7. And he said to him, that's God, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of Cal of of the Chaldeans, to give you this land and to possess it. And he said, O Lord God, how may I know that I shall possess it? So he said to him, Bring me three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And then he brought all these to him and cut them in two and laid them uh, each half opposite each other. But he did not cut the birds. And the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses and Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. And God said to Abram, Know for certain 
that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterwards they will come out with many possessions. And as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old, at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. And it came about when the sun had set, and it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch, which passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite and the Kenzanite and the Kadamite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Raphim and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Girgashite and the Jebusite. There we go. Get through those names. Ha, wasn't near as bad as chapter 14, though, <laughs> if you remember. Okay, so what do we see? We kind of see the same thing kind of repeating itself in a sense, right? We have this dialogue between God and Abram. We see these promises being made. We see uh, question, clarifying questions being asked. Uh, again, this is the third time that God makes uh, promises to Abram that this land that you're in is going to belong to your descendants. And here, again, for only the second time, we see Abram actually questioning God over this kind of deep-seated fear. And, of course, and we can understand, right? He's been in this land for years and years just as God had called him out. God was blessing him, but he still had no land of his own. He had nothing land-wise to pass down to his heir. So what's up, God? I, you know, I don't understand. Um, I, I'm not questioning whether you're going to do this. I just I need some help. I need to understand how this is going to happen or something I can hang on to, right? I trust you, but I need, I need some help. That, that's kind of what's happening here, and that, that's the question. And so it's interesting that God understands where Abram's coming from, even before Abram utters his question, right? And uh, so we see God acting, you know, immediately. He sees, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a covenant with you. That's something you can hold on to. It's going to be tangible, right? And, uh, and uh, yeah. A covenant, and so this. What is a covenant? Covenant is basically just a contract, but it has more of a spiritual connotation to it, right? So there's, it's like a contract, but in spiritual terms. A, a big difference, though, is a contract. I mean, a, a a covenant is not intended to be broken, right? Or it it it, well, it's with God, so you don't break it, right? Covenants are not to be broken. Contracts can be broken. There there are terms for that, right? And so. The way we kind of see that God's already lining up to give Abram what he needs and to meet Abram where he's at is that uh, right from the beginning here in verse 7, before Abram even utters his question, he says to what? I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. I am God, right? And that's kind of like the first line of any contract, right? You start off, somebody is going to do something, and God's saying, I am and I'm going to do. So he's already setting this contract up, right? So that's, that's kind of what we see happening here. So God's already on it. And um, then what does God have Abram do? He has him kind of set up this, this covenant ceremony, right? 
And so that involves him cutting these animals in two. What, a, 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 what is it, a bull and some rams or whatever, heifer and some, some rams and stuff. Cuts them in two and lays them, you know, apart from each other. So he cuts them and separates them. Separates, right? So they're there on the ground. And um, so what is this about? Well, this is a, a covenant ceremony, and this is kind of, a, again, another Near Eastern ritual that we see. We, we also read of a similar situ, uh, a ritual in Jeremiah 34, uh, 15 through 20. But it's basically the idea here is this, this, this covenant evokes a curse. And that curse is, is that, you know, from the, the, the point of the animals, that uh, if you fail to do your part of the covenant, you're, you're, what you're promising to do, you're going to end up looking like these animals, right? So you don't want to break this covenant. Of course, you know, God doesn't need to do that, but again, this is a, a, a ceremony for Abram's uh, benefit, right? And so you don't want to end up like the animals, so this, this covenant is saying, you know, you can take me at my word. Kind of another thing here, you see these birds coming down. What's that all about? Messing up this, the uh, this ceremony. Well, basically, I, I think that's a foreshadowing, right? These are you know, birds of prey. They're unclean. So they're probably kind of representing powers that would try to come between God and his people and trying to keep these people from, you know, accomplishing what God's promises have. But, of course, Abram just shoes them away, right? So that's kind of, I think, what the birds are about. So again, just like we saw before, I think, you know, again, helping, it, it will help us to understand how God helps Abram square his questions with God's promises, right? And so again, I think there's some things that we can learn from here. And the first is that we see Abram has a healthy dose of fear. And why do I say that? Well, uh, where is it? Here in verse 12. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. So the words uh, uh, terror and great darkness there in other places in the Bible tend to uh, denote a divine presence, which we're seeing here, right? God was coming into the presence of Abram. And just this overwhelming terror and, and, and fear fell upon him. And that's healthy. So, you know, while God is full of loving kindness and forgiveness and loves us very much, there's also another side to God, right? And respecting his overwhelming holiness and, and justice, right? And so we have to balance these things. And it's good to fear God in a good way, right? It tells us uh, in Proverbs 1.7, that fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So we need to have a healthy fear of God, right? Tempered against his loving kindness, but we also, he is a very powerful, just God. So it, the healthy fear is a good thing. So that's the first thing I think we can learn here from Abram. The second is that God meets us where we are. It's kind of interesting uh, and encouraging to see how God responds to Abram. And uh, in verse 13, And God said to Abram, Know for certain. And what was Abram's question? How may I know? So God's, I'm starting right here with your question. I want you to make sure that you understand I am answering your question, right? So God starts where he's at. And 
It's also, as I've already kind of mentioned, God's already setting up this covenant. Abram is saying, I need something to hold on to. Uh, and so God's saying, okay, I'll do this covenant, this, this process, and this will be something really tangible for you. So God is meeting Abram where he's at. The third thing that we see here, and this is the one I hate to kind of report on, but uh, the road to God's promises is often difficult, right? And that's exactly what we see here uh, God is saying in uh, verse four, or 13, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. There will be, they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. So you kind of imagine that was a bummer, right? To Abram is like, oh man, maybe I really didn't want to know that, God. Maybe you could have left that part out. But really, you know, that's, that's part of it, right? And it, it's been no different in time. Our apostles, the, uh, the early church, even us today, we face challenges on our road to God's promises. We all experience that. And so should we really expect anything different? Unfortunately, I don't think so. And kind of the fourth thing here, which kind of goes along with this fact that, you know, the road could be bumpy, but, and part of the reason is that God's promises are not just about us. I, I hate to tell you that, right? You know, it's not just about us, but uh, what's going on, right? So the land that God is going to give Abram, that he's promising Abram, already belongs to someone else, right? He calls them the, the Amorites, just a term for all, kind of an inclusive term for everyone that's living currently in the promised land. But what's going to happen to them? they got to go somewhere or something's got to happen to them. So God's promises has not only implications for Abram and his descendants, but also for the Amorites, right? Kind of in the same way with the Egyptians, although they're, they're not named here, we uh, read in verse 14, But I will judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. So we know this is being Egypt. What's God saying? Okay, yeah, they're going to benefit for a while at your expense of slavery, but then I will punish them, and you're going to plunder them, right? So we see you know, cause and effect all over the place, right? And so God's promises are woven into a much bigger plan that includes the rest of humanity, right? So it's not just about us. In this way, we must view life's challenges not as a threat to fulfillment, but rather as fitting into God's broader plan and in his time. So I'm sorry to tell you, but it's not all just about you. It's not just about how you, uh, God's promises to you, but how you fit into God's bigger plan and how his promises meet, you know, you and his bigger promise meet each other, right? And so, because we're all kind of in this together, one way or the other. And so, just like with the Amorites, their iniquity wasn't yet full, right? So, meaning that God still wanted to give them time to repent. So, God's considering everybody. And so, we fit into that plan. All right, so... I know that was kind of a bummer, but that's, that's what it says. So finally, God seals his covenant, right? And so how does he do that? Uh, again, kind of finishing up this little uh, 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 ceremony, if you will. And it came 
about when the sun had set, that it was very dark, and behold, there was an appearance of a smoking oven and a fiery torch which passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, right? So this was kind of the sealing of that covenant, right? It involved, well, this, this, this fiery torch. And what does fire usually signify in the Bible? Deity, God, right? God many times is, is seen in fire. And so this torch is actually a theophany. That means that it is the manifestation of God in the form of fire. And so this is physically God moving through these cut pieces of animal, right, in this ceremony to seal the covenant. And again, it's God basically saying, well, that it's going to happen, right? It's not, he's not worried about looking like the animals one day. Obviously, that's not what's meant, but it's, it, it is that you can take this serious, that you can depend on my promise. This is absolutely going to happen. But what's unusual is that usually both parties pass through, right? Because it's a contract between both. But God's saying, I take full responsibility for making sure this happens, right? That one day my people will come back to this land and it will be theirs. But that doesn't get Abram off the hook totally, right? He's still on the hook for his loyalty, for his trust, his belief in God, and same for his people, right? So that's the other side of the covenant that still has to take place. And if you know your, your Old Testament, you know that this was fulfilled. Not in Abram's time, but it was fulfilled. That eventually the, the kingdom of Israel, uh, while they, the, the unified kingdom, eventually their borders would grow to uh, the edge of Egypt as well as all the way up to the Euphrates River. That happened, right? And we know that these nations, and if you, you can look in all kinds of different places and this list of nations which changes from time to time, but the idea here, there's ten nations. Ten means complete, right? So God's just saying, whoever the people are here, there will be a complete removal of them, and you will be in this promised land. I will give it to you, and, and, and that happened, right? So God was, uh, uh, did do what he said. He followed through with his covenant. Big surprise, right? So it's no different for us today, right? Just like Abraham, we need something that we can hold on to. Because like Abraham, these promises were not going to happen in his lifetime, right? Abram would never see his, his, his offspring eventually uh, coming in and taking the land for themselves, right? This happened, well, 400 years later, right? So he needed something to hold on in the same way with us for some of the most important promises God has made to us, we need something to hold on to. We need a covenant. Unfortunately, God has given us that covenant. We celebrated that covenant this morning together in, in, in the communion, and God offers this covenant today, Jesus crucified, right? We trust that Jesus paid the debt of our sin on the cross with his death, and our faith alone, as we read in, in verse 6, is what brings righteousness before God. That's what God requires. That's what God wants to see. Everything else follows from there. Our faith, it's, we are seen as righteous. We are accredited with, God, with righteousness by God. So in this way, God's covenant with Abraham, which brought about the identity of the Hebrews, right? That he believed in God, and God then brought out his people, right, eventually, foreshadows a greater covenant, right, that fulfills God's promise to bless all mankind through Abram. And, of course, that ultimately happened 
through the salvation of our sins in a right relationship with God. With who? With that heir that came through Abram, right? So all this fits together. All this has not only meaning in this time, but also eternal meaning for us today. So in summary, fear is real. It's around us. comes in all different shapes and sizes. The important thing is God's promises and covenant gives us something tangible that we can hold on to and then can combat that fear. And it's, up, it's simply up to us to believe. And when we believe, we are counted righteous before God. And this is what he wants. Simply is our trust, our faith. Everything else will work its, its way out after that. And together, when all this comes together, fear's driven out, right? So will you stand as we close in prayer? Dear Lord in heaven, uh, thank you for uh, this story of Abraham, Lord, this example of Abraham. Lord, we, we thank you most for these promises, promises not only to Abraham, Lord, but, Lord, how you use these promises in a much bigger way, Lord, to bless us today, Lord, uh, to make your covenant through your son with us today that, uh, Lord, our biggest fear is driven away because of him, and that is death, Lord. We, we praise you. We thank you. Uh, Lord, use these words this week and help us to, to work on fear when it crops up, and Lord, firmly stand on your promises. Lord, we praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.